Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we continue our series, Laugh Again. This series, which focuses on happiness and joy in our lives, is based on what we find in the book of Philippians. This week, Lead Pastor David Fossil points out that being successful can bring happiness as he shows us a formula for success. Listen as he directs our attention to Paul's wanting us to smile as he gives us Paul's characteristics of success. Go ahead and grab the study guide that's in your program. If uh, you have a Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 3. If you're using one of the church Bibles, we're going to be on page 1180. We are continuing our verse-by-verse study in the book of Philippians. As you're turning your Bibles, um, I want to read to you a couple of... You ever got one of those like everyday calendars where you're supposed to rip off a page, right? Well, I got one of those a couple years ago for Christmas, you know, and every day has a different saying or a motivational thing or whatever. And uh, so that year, every once in a while, when I'd see a couple that I like or one that I liked, I'd just kind of throw it in a file. And at the end of the year, I realized that a a number of them had to do with success. I want to read some of them to you. Um, This one says, it's the combination of reasonable talent and the ability to keep going in the face of defeat that leads to success. So you not only have to have some abilities, you have to also persevere some, okay? This next one is uh, also very interesting. It says, success is not measured by how you do compared to how somebody else does. Success is measured by how you do compared to what you could have done with what God gave you. I like that one because now I'm not competing against you and you're not competing against me. I'm just so good to say, am I fulfilling everything God has made in me? And are you fulfilling everything God has done for you? I like this one. This next one is simple, but makes sense. Success is dependent upon the glands, the sweat glands. In other words, you don't have lazy people that are successful, right? Very rarely. And this last one attributed to, uh, to Thomas Edison. I'm sure you've heard it before. Um, this is, uh, he said this after trying an experiment over and over and over and over and over and over again and failing. He said this, I have not failed 10,000 times. I have successfully found 10,000 ways that will not work. And it's basically the idea you got to overcome failure if you want to be successful. My guess is that every person here wants to be successful. I mean, who doesn't? You want to be successful, uh, educationally. You much prefer an A than a C minus, don't you? You want to be successful if you're part of a sports team. You want your team to win more than, than you want it to lose. You want to be successful as a family. You want to be successful in your career. Hopefully that results in some financial success. Uh, you, you, you want to be successful spiritually, my guess is. That's why you're here this morning. Everyone wants to be successful. Why? Because it feels better than losing. It feels better than failing. I mean, it's not hard to figure that out. And Paul knows that. So as we're going through the book of Philippians and he's saying, I want you to laugh again. I want you to smile again. He has a section in, in the book of uh, chapter 3 here where just a couple verses, he basically gives us characteristics of success. Now, I'm telling you in advance, this will work in any field. It'll work if you're a business person. It'll work if you're an educator. It'll work for your family or for your team. But his primary focus is your soul. But the same characteristics work for anything, okay? So we're going to be in chapter 3. We're just going to look at two, three verses, verses 12 through 14. If you got your study guide and you want to jot these down, the first characteristic, write this down, is you need to be humble. You need to be humble. You have to have humility as part of who you are. He starts off, and here's what he says in verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained all of this, not that I have already arrived at my goal or been made perfect, but I press on. 
brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He three times redundantly says the exact same thing. I have not arrived. I have not obtained it. I have not been made perfect. I have not taken hold of it. Now, if you're trying to break this down, the first thing you want to do is circle that last word, it, and identify what is he talking about? What is the it? Well, in order to figure out what the it is, you have to go back to just the last couple verses, what he's talking about. The it is the first four or five words in verse 10. It's what Paul identifies as the most important thing you want to be successful at. He says this, verse 10, I want to know Christ. I hope you're successful in your business. I hope you're successful in your marriage. I, I hope you're successful educationally and in your sports world. But if it, it, all those things aside, I want to make sure you're successful in getting to know Jesus Christ. Now, having said that, once we now understand what the it is, maturity in Christ, I don't know about you, but this is a rather refreshing statement for me. The Apostle Paul says, I have not arrived, I'm not as spiritually mature as I could be or should be. Now, why I say this is rather remarkable and refreshing is because if there's anybody that could say it, it would be Paul. If you were with us last week, in the first part of chapter 3, he outlines his resume. I mean, this man was Time Magazine Man of the Year every year running for a decade. He had it all. He was a man's man. He was successful. He had every award you could get. The one thing he didn't add last week, oh, by the way, is that by the time he writes the book of Philippians, which we think is one of the last books he wrote, he's already written half the New Testament. My guess is none of you have written anything in the Bible, have you? You would think if anybody could say, I got it. I've arrived spiritually. You would think it's Paul. I mean, he's he's kind of Mother Teresa and Billy Graham wrapped into one back in those days. He's the man. And he goes, no, I haven't arrived yet. I still have things that I need to, to work on. He's humble. By the way, have you ever met someone the opposite of humble? What do you call that? It's prideful, right? Prideful. Someone who gives off this air like we are blessed to have them in our family, at our work, in our church. You know, we're lucky that they're part of our lives and they give us this idea that there's nothing, nothing else really that we can teach them or that they can learn. You know, um, you know I, I, got, I, got, I got my stuff all together, you know. You know? Have you met people like that, prideful people? Frankly, those kind of people give me gas. Thai food and bright, prideful people. Same effect. No one likes hanging out with cocky, prideful people. None of us do. Not to mention that it's very hard to grow in anything and improve in anything. If you don't have the humility and the courage to say, do an inventory of your life and figure out what am I good at and what am I not so good at? which is exactly what Paul is doing here. He is identifying weaknesses. Reminds me of what Jimmy Hoffa was once quoted as saying. He said, I have my faults, but being wrong ain't one of them. And some of us are like that, unfortunately. Paul says you have to identify your weaknesses. Have the humility to do that. Speaking of weaknesses, I was going through my file cabinet a a, a couple months ago at at the office because I I couldn't fit anything else in. I was like, I got to get rid of stuff in here I don't look at anymore, don't use anymore. So I'm getting rid of all these files. And I actually found the file 
with all the paperwork and the application that I sent to this church 20 years ago. It was all in there. This is back in the day when you don't have any sermons online. You had to send these things called cassette tapes. That's how they would listen to your sermon. When you filled out the application, they couldn't email it to you. They would snail mail it to you and you had to handwrite your answers in. There's no response via email, right? And uh, so I started looking through some of the things I wrote. You know, I'm looking, and it was, you know, applications today are no different than really 20 years ago. There was this one section on personal stuff. So one of the questions was, tell us some of your, you know, ministry strengths. So I wrote a couple things down and, and, and then right after, tell us about some of your strengths. What's the very next question they ask you? Tell us about some of your weaknesses, right? And so I have this flashback. Sandy and I sitting in our, our a Chicago apartment on the north side and, and, and filling out all these applications for churches around the country. And, and I remember when we got to this question, it became kind of a joke between the two of us, right? We write a couple of, a, of, the, of, the, of the strengths down. And the first time I get to the weakness question, I turn to Sandy, I go, Sandy, do, do I have any weaknesses? That became a running joke every time we had to answer that question. What I also found interesting, though, is that every time I filled out another application, she kept coming up with new suggestions on more weaknesses to write down, right? And isn't that the truth? Our spouse and our kids and our family, you know, they know us the best, right? They know the best of us and they know the worst of us. Let me ask you a question. Honestly, when's the last time you did a personal inventory and identified not only what you're good at, but what you're weak at? what you need to work on. Just be honest with yourself. Score yourself, whether you're you know, letter grade or one to ten. Honestly, how are you as a spouse? How are you as a parent or a grandparent? How are you as a friend? How are you as a co-worker or the boss if you're in that role at, at, at work? How are you in handling your finances? How are you at managing what words come out of your mouth? How are you spiritually? You see, one of the characteristics of success is having the courage, the ability, and the humility to do a personal inventory of who you are and, and come to the conclusion, I have some things to work on. Did you notice the little catchphrase, by the way, humility? Maturity is when you realize how far you still have to go. It happens to a lot of individuals who go to seminary. Seminary is basically where pastors go to get ready to, to serve in a church. I did mine at Trinity University in Deerfield, just outside of Chicago. Three years, full-time program in a thing called a Master's of Divinity. Since then, I've done a doctoral degree in, in ministry. Now, here's what's interesting. The more I study this book, the more I learn about Jesus, the more I realize how far I fall short the more I realize how sinful I really am, the more I realize how big God really is. It's the strangest thing. The more I learn about this book, the more I realize I got a long way to go. It's a big deal. It's a big deal to have that kind of an, an attitude. By the way, I, I might add that um, we as a church, this attitude of authenticity, this attitude of humility, this idea that we as a church don't have it together, everything. We don't. There's some things we do well and there's some things not so well. Is a value to this church. We, we want to be upfront about who we are and not pretend that we, you know, uh, you know, we got it all together. We don't have it all together. 
you know, and we want to encourage you to have the same attitude about yourself and your spiritual walk and growth is be confident in Christ, but have the courage and the humility to say, I still have some things I need to work on. I might add, if you are new to Bay Hills, right, and you're perfect, I would suggest find another church because we will mess you up, <laughs> especially first service people. They are jacked up. You don't want to hang out with them. I threw you guys under the bus for the other service, too. Same joke. Humility. Make sure you're humble. Do a personal inventory. Identify what you need to work on. Second thing he says is this. You need to learn how to prioritize. You need to learn how to prioritize. It's not how hard you work. It's how smart you work. You've heard this before. Paul makes this point. If you go by it too quickly, you, 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 you overlook it. That's why I highlighted it for you. Brothers and sisters, I do not yet consider myself to have taken hold of it. There's your humility. But one thing I do. Not 10 things I try, not 20 things I dabble in. No, one thing I do, I'm going to prioritize and I'm going to focus. I'm going to make sure I get this one thing right. Now, I don't care what area of your life it is. I don't care how you want to be successful. The business world, financial world, your sports world, it doesn't matter. You have to learn how to prioritize. Why? Because you've got a lot of things in your life, don't you? I mean, don't you just, do you ever get to halfway through the day and go, yeah, I just don't have anything else to do. That's not quite how it works, is it? You get to the end of the week like, oh my goodness, I need like a clone to get everything done. I need to get done. We have so many plates spinning, don't we? By the way, speaking of the plate spinning, you guys have seen the guy at the circus or the magician, right? Or the county fair, he gets the stick and he gets a plate and he starts spinning. It looks really cool. And then he takes the stick and he goes over here and he starts spinning this plate. And then he goes back over here and he starts spinning this plate. Before you know it, there's like eight plates that are spinning. It looks pretty cool. And then when he looks at the audience and the crowd and everybody's like, that's cool. He He right away notices the first plate he starts spinning is what's starting to happen there. Starting to wobble. So he runs over here and he gets that sucker going. And then he runs back over here. He gets this sucker going. And it's very entertaining for us watching him go back and forth. Right? Do you feel like that in life? Do you? You got so many plates spinning. And you're like, oh my goodness, I better hustle over there. Because if I don't and I don't get that plate spinning, it's liable to fall. It's liable to break. I'm, I'm going to be in trouble. And we live our life spinning these plates, playing and being in the rat race. Now, what I want to make sure you understand is one of the things when it comes to all the tasks, responsibilities, obligations, and people you have in your life, you must learn to prioritize, okay? Let's stay with the same um, analogy of plates. And here's what I want to show you. I got different plates here. What you have to realize got different kinds of plates so some of us are going to use a plate that looks just like this in a couple you know hours or tomorrow right put a hot, hot dog or hamburger on it's just a paper plate you discard it the minute you're done now if you go to someone's house it's a little bit classier they'll give you one of these suckers not much more but you can get more on it's a little bit tougher but what i want to point out to you is that you're spinning these plates in your life some of the plates that you're spinning have the value of paper or soft plastic what are some of the things in my life that qualify as paper or plastic plates? Like, for example, thank you, sir. Yeah. Um, doing my lawn. Do I want a front yard and a backyard that looks nice? Yes. Is it more important than spending time with my kids? See what I'm saying? 
I love to golf. I really do. Um, I love the game. I love to be outdoors. I love to be with friends. It's challenging. Um, but the one thing about golf is that it can take like the whole day, depending where you golf. Now, um, sometimes it's good for my, my peace of mind and, you know, just getting rid of stress and all that. But if I had to choose between five, six hours golfing or that same time with my wife, who I've barely seen in two weeks, what would you recommend I do? You, you see, all I'm saying is that there are items in your life that are plastic and paper. And it's no big deal if they fall on the ground. Let them stay. Let them be on the ground. Who cares if you drive by my house and my front yard looks like a jungle? Not the end of the world. Now, eventually I'll have to get at it, right? Some items in your life, responsibilities and obligations, qualify as plastic or paper. But the analogy goes on. Some qualify. This is kind of like a hard plastic. You know, it's what you have like around the house. And then you get like what you would use at the kitchen table, more glass, you know. There are some things that qualify as this. Okay? They're more important than paper or plastic. Okay, so for example, what would qualify as pl- it, it, like something like this? For example, to me, bathing. Yeah. If I don't do my lawn for two weeks, eh. If I don't bathe for two weeks, a little more of a problem, right? How about, how about this? Like paying your bills. You don't pay your bills, you're going to be in trouble going, going to work. Working on decent grades in school. If you don't do those things and that plate falls and break, I'm just telling you, you're going to be in a, you're going to be a world hurt. So there are some things that qualifies you best spend more time on these items than on these items. And then of course, you've got the dish you only pull out. Mom lets you pull out at Thanksgiving, the China, right? There are some items that are incredibly valuable what what qualifies here I, I i don't i hope i don't have to tell you it's pretty obvious family and god you best not let this one break because of what it represents here's the problem many of us have we take areas and items in our life that are incredibly valuable and we relegate them to paper or soft plastic status. And then we take other items that are more hobbies or whatever, and we elevate their importance and spend a lot of time spinning that plate. Here's my point. you got a lot of plates to spin. You're going to drop some of them. Just make sure you don't drop the wrong one. You must learn to prioritize It's part of what it means to grow up and mature. It's critically important. Now, in terms of priority styles, this is something someone taught me years ago. Very helpful to me. Different ways we prioritize. Some people prioritize by what's the most urgent. And that's the loud things first. You know, this is the the, the very basic. You've heard it before. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. You know, what's making the most noise that gets my attention. I've just got to tell you, sometimes it doesn't deserve your attention. It really doesn't. And when I came to the States, I grew up in Spain, though I was born in Chicago, six months old, went to Spain, didn't come back to the States till I was 10 years old. And I remember the first time back, 
I loved being back, seeing my cousins and my grandparents and the food here and the TV and on and on. But I remember there were some TV shows I could not figure out. I'd be watching, I'm going, what is going on here? One of those shows was Gilligan's Island. I still remember watching the show, watching, you know, and here's what I couldn't figure out as a 10-year-old, right? It might sound crazy, but this is what I couldn't figure out, right? Uh, apparently, from what I heard from the song, they were on like a little cruise ship. Not like to Mexico or something, but like we're going to Catalina Island for the day, sounds like. They got into a storm, they shipwrecked on this island. But then you've got these people that are incredibly talented, and they're building this and solving that problem and making solar energy and all kinds of stuff. Right? And I kept watching the show thinking to myself, why don't they fix the boat? <laughs> right? If they have all this talent, fix the boat and go home. Some of you are living on Gilligan's Island. And you are distracted by everything that is urgent in your life. But it's not necessarily the most highest priority. Some people focus and organize themselves by what is most unpleasant. They, they, they focus on the hard or the dull things first. Uh, I've noticed some people eat their food like this. Have you seen people that eat their food like this? They eat what they don't like first. Get it out of, I'm going to get rid of the peas and then I'm going to get to the steak. Some people organize their weekend that way. You know, we got to do chores around the house. Oh, I'm going to take care of that one thing I don't like to do. Get that sucker out of the way, and then I'll work on focus on everything else. Well, what if what is dull and hard isn't the most important? See, that's the problem. It's a it's an inaccurate way of organizing. Some people do the unfinished, the last thing first. So a lot of us, and I think it's a very healthy thing to do just to get yourself organized, is to have a basic to-do list, whether it's for work or for home. And a lot of us kind of have a weekly to-do list, and right? And so you have your to-do list. There are some people that at the end of their week, they take what done, didn't get done on their to-do list, and they take that, and next week they put it at the top of the to-do list. And the question is, why? What if this week it still deserves to be at the bottom of the to-do list? There are some things on your to-do list that never should get done. Yep, they're on your list. They're not getting done. And eventually they may have to, you may have to focus on them. But just because you didn't get it done last week doesn't mean it automatically should be the highest priority this week. Very simply, you don't focus on what is urgent or unpleasant or unfinished. You focus on the ultimate, the first things first. The first thing, many of you, uh, this is a self-help business motivational type book written by Covey 20, 25 years ago. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. One of the biggest chapters he, he focuses on here is that last one. You don't learn to prioritize and it will burn you over and over and over and over in your life. God's been saying that for 2,000 years. Learn to prioritize. Now, I got to tell you, again, this works for any field of your life. But I, I, I would not, I would be doing you a disservice if I didn't also say, Jesus talked about this exact same thing in the Gospels. And you know what he said? He said, uh, he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Of all, of all the things you have in your life, don't let that plate fall and break. And then he adds, and if you focus on that, 
He says, all, all the other plates, all the other things in your life, I'm, I'm going to help you out with those as well. But focus on this. The fact that you're here gives me hope. And, but, but the reality is that so many of us, we get tweaked and every once in a while we allow the, the, the relationship with God to, to get relegated. We're not picking up our Bibles, reading or doing what he wants us to do. Prioritize. Prioritize Christ and God in your life. And watch how he blesses you. Watch how he, quote unquote, gives you success in other areas you didn't even expect. Okay? So, moving on. Humility, prioritizing. The third thing, very interesting. If you want to be successful, you need to learn how to be forgetful. You said, what? This is fascinating what he says. Verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Humility. One thing I do, prioritizing. Then he says this forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. If you want to be successful in life, you have to learn how to forget. What is he talking about here? Well, let's just make sure we understand this. He is not suggesting you do the impossible feat of mental gymnastics, sitting down with a therapist, going through shock therapy so you can forget your past. That's not good or healthy. The word to forget what is behind carries with it the idea of don't let your past control and determine your future. Don't let your past control and determine your future. Why does Paul say that? Because he knows that for some of us it haunts us. You know that really, really dumb thing you did years ago. That created a tremendous amount of hurt in your and other people's lives. That marriage that failed. The bankruptcy. The addiction. The trouble with law. And I could go on and on and on. And some of us today are having trouble moving forward because we we keep looking back. The back controls us. He says, you want to be successful? You got to learn how to forget. Now, uh, you know, recognize your past, but refuse to be a slave to it. In fact, some people who do this appropriately, they can still talk about it. Yeah, I messed up there and this didn't work and I didn't do well in my marriage and this. But I learned and I grew and I changed and I forgot and I'm moving forward. I'm becoming a new person in Christ. I'm becoming, I'm forgetting. I start thinking of some of the things that we forget, that I forget. If I don't write my appointment in, a, in my phone, I forget appointments. How about you? You're like, oh, shoot. You, know? you ever forgot a birthday? Someone's birthday? <laughs> and then you, uh, you realize like a week or a couple days later and you feel horrible. You know, forget. I sometimes forget to pack a toothbrush when I go traveling. Right? I forget to put out the trash. You ever forget to put out the trash? When do you remember to put out the trash? In the morning when you hear the truck coming down, you're like, oh crap, I gotta, you're trying to get the, put the, you know, trying to get the trash out before the truck takes off, right? You ever forget a supermarket item? Sandy goes, we're out of milk, I need you to go to the supermarket and get milk. So I come back with five grocery bags, 70 items, she goes, where's the milk? I'm like, crap! I don't know why we do that, we just forget. Wallet. You ever forget your wallet? I rarely forget my wallet. This week I did. I have a, a relationship with a pastor in Yuba City and he wanted me to do some mentoring and coaching with him. I said, okay, I'll, I'll make a deal with you. I can't go to you, but if you come to me, 
I'll meet with you once a month for two hours, then I'll take you out to lunch. That happened this past Tuesday. We met for two hours. We went out to lunch and I went like that. No wallet. Thank goodness I knew the P, the restaurant and I said, I'll be back. You know? That's kind of, have you ever forgotten your kids? That's one of my worst things. I have forgotten. It first happened with my poor daughter, Jessica. She's going to Valley View, right? Half day, because I think kindergarten, whatever. And uh, so normally Sandy would pick her up, right? And we'd take her somewhere, take her daycare for a couple hours, and we'd all come back home, you know that. So one day, every once in a while, Sandy says, I need you to pick up Jesse. I got it. I got it. You know? Super dad, right? So on this particular day, I just got caught up doing work. And next thing I knew, no, Brigitte comes into my office and she goes, there's someone from Valley View that wants to talk to you. And I'm like, so I get in my car and I speed over there. There's no kids in the parking lot. All the cars are gone. I look into the windows in the the office there. My poor daughter's sitting there miserable like she's been abandoned by her parents. You know, and I come in, she's a little girl. I'm like, I'm so sorry, baby. I'm, I just got working and everything. Let's go. You know, and so as we're walking out, the Nazi secretary working at the school says, oh, no, no, no. Before you take your daughter, you got to write everything out in the binder. There's like this magic binder. You've got to, you know, so you look and the sheet has three columns. Name of the student. Name of the parent. And then the last column, reason. <laughs> like, why are you taking the kid out early, dentist? Or why are you an hour and 50 minutes late? So I'm filling this all out, and I get to the last one, reason. What do I put down? And I'm thinking, serving God. I mean, what do I write down? You know? So the, the secretary is sitting there, and she's giving me this. You are an awful parent. She's giving me this look and she's leaning over to see what I'm saying, right? She can't even wait till I leave. She's... So I thought I would have a little bit of fun. <laughs> so I write down reason for an hour and 15 minutes late. I write down mom dropped the ball and miscommunicated. Pray for me, you know, took juices, Jesse's hand and walked out. Why aren't you forgetting? Sometimes we have trouble forgetting what we messed up at. Sometimes we struggle to forget the pain that others did to us. In 20 years as your pastor, this is what I found most people struggle the most with. And what I found is that the best way to deal with emotional issues is to start with theological issues because the way you think eventually impacts the way you feel and the way you feel impacts how you behave. So let me share with you the most important theological principle for you to understand how to move forward in life and to leave your past in the past. And it's understand God's forgiveness. Let me show you these two verses. Jeremiah 31, 34, God says, for I will forgive their wickedness. He's talking about us. I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. Now, let's just make sure we understand this. He's God, so he can't forget. He knows everything. 
But he's trying to use the same idea that Paul uses in Philippians 3. And he's saying, I'm going to forget as in I'm not going to hold it against them. I'm not going to think about it every time that I see them. I'm not going to bring it up every time we talk. I'm not going to allow their past to determine their future. I'm going to forget. Now, this next verse I find is absolutely fascinating. Gives us some of the motivation why God forgets. Isaiah 43, 24 from the New Living Translation. I will blot out your sins. That's forgiveness. For my own sake. Not just for your sake, but for God's sake. He's like, I, I, can't, I can't do this. I can't be with them constantly. For my own sake, I'm going to forgive them. And I will never think of them, the sins again. There's three kinds of forgiveness. When, I, when God forgives me, when God forgives you, when you forgive others, and when you forgive you. And I find that so many of us struggle with that last one. We accept God's forgiveness. Some of us are learning to forgive others. But we beat ourselves over the head for these things in our past that we have to leave in our past. And, and, and my point very simply is this, is that if God's moving on, why don't we? How about we do that? Let's move. Leave it in your past. It doesn't have to determine your future. By the way, just real quick side note. It's not just forgiving or forgetting your failures and your mistakes and your sins of the past. Sometimes success is means forgiving your successes. Some some of us are looking in the rearview mirror trying to get back a time in our life was perfect or much better than it is today. You guys remember uh, Bruce Springsteen's Glory Days? He sings a song of a guy he thought high school was the greatest. Oh, I wish I go go back and there's one line in the song. Time slips away and leaves you with nothing but boring stories of glory days. You got to leave the past in the past. Whether it's hurtful or painful or mistakes we made, it doesn't have to determine your future. And sometimes don't just keep holding on to your success. Move forward. There's things ahead of you. Okay? Last thing he says is to be successful, you've got to learn how to persevere. You've got to keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Last couple verses. I've highlighted for you, obviously, what I want to really zero in on. Paul, uh, Paul says, I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me, straining towards what is ahead. I, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That phrase, to press on, literally, it was a Greek phrase to refer to what a hunter would do when he was chasing and following and pursuing the prey. And he'd keep going and keep going and keep running and keep after it. The phrase to strain towards what is ahead, right in the middle. Another sports phrase. It's the idea of, uh, of what, a, what a, a chariot racer would do. And there's a small leather chariot and they would hold on to the reins and they would lean forward as far as they could because it would increase their speed. And very simply, what Paul's trying to say is you want success. Do you? Do you want success in your marriage? Do you want success in your family, in your career, in your spiritual walk, in our church? Do we? Then, then keep, keep fighting. Keep running. Pick yourself up. Don't quit. One of my favorite stories, and some of you have heard me say it, that it just illustrates so much what I think is being spoken of even here, it is from the Olympics in, in Mexico City in 1968. It was October the 20th. The days of, of the events were basically done. Um, 
you know, the people were out and cleaning the, the stadium. There was only about 2,000 people left in the stadium. Um, they, 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 uh, the marathon had ended about two hours prior. A, a guy from Ethiopia called Mamo Waldi had crossed the finish line like he had just started and won the gold medal. 45, 50 minutes later, they'd done the, the ceremony for the medals and the anthems and everybody had cheered and the flags and, and now it was time to go home and it was getting dark and it was getting cold and basically just a few fans and officials were there. And then all of a sudden in the corner of the stadium where, where the gate, where, where, where the runners come in, there's whistles and there's sirens and, and police motorcycles come in with their lights and people with whistles. And, and all of a sudden they're escorting one runner wearing the colors of Tanzania. And his name was John Stephen Aquari. And the people left in the stadium could clearly see he was hurt. He was limping. He was not running. He was limping around the stadium. He was, he was badly bandaged up. There was blood all over his leg. His face was knocked in. He had taken a bad fall in the race. And here he was, two, two and a half hours after the race was over, still trying to get to the finish line. As he comes into the stadium, all the, all the Olympic officials are telling people to back away, back away. Don't touch him. Because you touch him, he's disqualified. Let him be. Let him keep going. So John Stephen Aquari continues to go and limp and literally falls across the finish line and medical officials come tearing in and they help him out and they take care of his wounds. Well, this is quite a story. So the reporters that are still left in the stadium stick around and sometime later they're able to interview him. And one, one of the reporters asked Stephen Aquari this, why? Why did you keep running? No one would have blamed you had you quit. Everyone would have understood why? And, Jay, and John Stephen Aquari said this, because my country did not send me 7,000 miles around the world to start the race. They sent me to finish the race. And so it is with your God. He doesn't call you to start the race of faith. That's easy. That's when it's fun. That's when everyone's cheering for you calls you to finish the race and finish well. And if I'm going to be honest with you, sometimes you're going to fall and you're going to get bruised and bloodied up. And God says, pick yourself back up and keep going. Keep running. If nothing else, for the success of your soul and the health, of, keep running. Some of you here want to quit. And God brought some of you here today to just hear this point. Keep doing the right thing. Keep running. God knows you're tired. Keep running anyway. Now, the good news is in the Olympics, only three people get honored. Gold medal, silver medal, bronze medal. Not in this race. Every one of us can get a medal. Every one of us gets a prize. Check it out. I press on the second one toward the goal to win the prize. What's the prize? There's two prizes, actually. There's a today prize, a present prize. You know what today's prize is? If, you, if you're humble and, and you persevere and, and you prioritize, and you know what that prize is? You forget? You know what that prize is? You get to laugh again. You get to smile again. The Christian life is not necessarily meant to be easy. But even in the midst of trials, you can, and God wants you and gives you joy. 
That's today's prize. Tomorrow's prize, we're going to get to it next week. He talks about what you and I get in heaven, a crown of righteousness. And it's just incredible. We know the eternal prize. And I'm saying you get a tomorrow future prize and you get a today prize. Every one of us, not just the ones who ran the best and the fastest. Every one of us. Which one of the four do you need to work on? Let's put the summary slide up. Be humble. Could someone someone here and some of us say, you know, my attitude, I think, is keeping me from being more successful in an area in my life. I need to do a personal inventory. How about some of us focus on priorities? We got so many stinking plates spinning. Some of us need to reallocate what plate goes where and let some of them fall. Let them fall. Stop doing certain things. It's okay. Some of us need to choose to forget. Especially those of us who've made big mistakes and big problems or who've been hurt horribly in our past. You don't want to rush through that. You you still want to process that. But at some point in time, you've got to leave it in the past. And then the last thing is persevere. Keep moving forward. Look at that screen. Can you pick at least one? Pick one. Okay, here's how I want you to end. I want everybody to take their name tag off. Take your name tag off real quick. Take your name tag off. If you're sitting next to someone who's a regular and doesn't have a name tag, give them a dirty look right now, okay? And then what I also want you to do is I want you to swap with someone else. Swap swap your name tag with anyone else around you, behind you. Go ahead and do it right now. Swap with someone else. Swap with someone else. Okay, here's what I want you to do. Put it on, okay? So if you're a dude and you have Nancy right now, don't. it's okay. Be strong in your manhood, okay? I want you to do this. Listen up. Here's how we're wrapping it up. We're going to wrap up with a song. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to hold on to this name tag for a couple days, today and tomorrow at least. Here's what I want you to do. When you see that name tag, put it on the uh, in your car, dashboard, put it somewhere you're going to see it. When you see that, my guess is that many of you, the name tag you have is someone that you care about because you're sitting next to, or at the very least, they're a brother and sister in Christ. Here's what I want you to do. When you see their name for the next couple days, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray a one-sentence prayer. God Make them successful. Help them be humble. Help them prioritize. Help them forget past mistakes. Help them persevere even when they feel like giving up. Let's pray for each other. Let's pray that God would give us the right kind of success. Let's close in prayer and the band will come up. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, your word is so incredibly helpful. It is so incredibly practical. But if we're honest today, it's rather difficult. I would pray for my friends here today. Um, I think most of us, it's pretty hard to argue with what we learned today, Father. And we get it. We, we need to tweak our attitude and be humble. And there are some things that are more important than others. That makes sense. And some of us are holding on to the past and we shouldn't and We realize we need to keep running, but any one of those can be very difficult for different reasons. Father, I pray that you would give us the self-discipline to apply what we've learned. That one thing that you brought to our attention and you said that, that's the one thing I want you to work on. Father, for the name tag we're taking home with us, someone that's sitting around us that we care about, that we would be follow through and and pray for them. Father, I, I pray that you would give us success in our families, in our business, More importantly, I pray that you would give us success spiritually and individually. 
I pray that we would grow to be like your son, Jesus Christ. Even if we don't get a lot of the other stuff, remind us that the most important thing, as Paul has identified this morning, that we would know Christ. Thank you for your word. And we pray this all in Jesus name and all God's people said. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.